0: Wretched Radio begins in 3, 2, 1. Now I can preach it like this, okay? Repent! Or I can tell you, change your mind. Preaching repentance in the area of consciousness of sins is dishonoring the work of Jesus.
1: Repentance means you realize you're guilty, that you deserve the wrath and punishment of God. You begin to realize that sin is in you, and you turn your back on it in every shape and form. You renounce the world whatever the cost, and you deny yourself and take up the cross and go after
0: Christ. It's time for Wretched Radio. With Todd Frio. Tell me what's the word I up. I was being sarcastic, which is another big word you'll learn in school. What's
1: the word on the street? Concupiscence! Wow. That's not easy to say. This is Wretched Radio. Concupiscence. Do you know the definition? You've talked about the subject, and they certainly have been discussing this in some Presbyterian circles, specifically USA. Wow, I saw a Presbyterian church. Jimmy, did I mention yesterday I went to the golf tournament on Saturday? Oh, you did? Yeah, I, I did. And ah. as, as we're driving away from Eastlake Country Club, there was a beautiful – Presbyterians, you know how to make church buildings. I got to grant you that. The Episcopalians do. Methodists, pretty good. And so do the Presbyterians. They make nice church buildings. This one had rainbow flags, BLM, any other politically correct, everything is welcome here. And I thought about the thundering Scott, who was the founder, if you will, of the Presbyterian movement. His name was John Knox. He thundered when he preached. He made the queen cry. He was one who spoke boldly. And I couldn't help but wonder, who. If John Knox had gone to the FedEx Cup on Saturday, like did I mention I was at the FedEx Cup on Saturday? Not 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 too many times. He would he would seriously, he would at the very least overturn some tables. In in the movement that doesn't bear his name but it certainly does bear his influence, although the PCA, Peace no, that's Presbyterian Church America. They're the good guys. It's Presbyterian Church United States of America. There's your uni rule getting way getting they are way liberal. Uh, this is from a Heidel blog. the PCA, that's the good one, the conservative one, has produced a helpful ad interim committee report on human sexuality. I, I, I don't know why it's interim and I don't know what the word two is doing in front of it, nevertheless, that affirms this: thoughts and desires, Arriving in us to and apart from a conscious act of the will. That's the definition of concupiscence. You just think stuff. Just, oh, oh, where did? No, that's not. This is what the PCA said. Thoughts and desires arriving in us prior to and apart from a conscious act of the will are still sin. Thank you. Thank you for saying so. Now, this can be something that might quickly become a heavy yoke on some people because they have these thoughts. Everybody gets these thoughts. Seri- I mean, everybody gets stupid thoughts flying through their brain. And it doesn't just have to be sexual. It can be some, it's like, wait a second. What, why did I get a violent image in my head? There's people who struggle with that. Why can't I, why Why is it that every time I see this, I think that? Well, it's because of concupiscence. It is unwanted. It's uninvited. And nevertheless, the PCA identifies it as still being a sin. Somebody's got to take responsibility. This reminds me of people who have sinful dreams. Are you to blame for those? And the answer is, yeah, yeah, you are. Because you dreamt it. If, if you were perfectly glorified and sanctified, you wouldn't be having dreams like that, but your brain, not yet glorified, living on this side of the veil, it still will have bad thoughts, sinful thoughts, and they are still to be considered sin. Having said that, don't let it become a yoke on you. Don't let it become a disqualifier for you. Well, I guess I can't be a Christian because of concupiscence. Not that you'd ever use that word because I don't mind telling you I have to concentrate every single time I say concupiscence. Repent. Lord, I'm sorry I got that thought. Forgive me. Help me and move on. You do that. You have a dream. Just, Lord, I'm sorry. Help me and then move on. You look At a person and sudden, just immediately, lust comes flooding into your mind. Lord, I'm sorry. That's that's my sin. Forgive me. And move on. Because we should take responsibility, but we should not feel constantly condemned because we have unwanted thoughts, a.k.a. concupiscence. But... We do need to remember it's a sin. Now, why is this important? Because down the street at the PCUSA, they're holding conferences on this subject, which, got to tell you, is a bad sign. And they would say that it is okay that you, those desires, you can live with them, just don't act on them. Now, that leaves out, by the way, one step. You, you've got yourself concupiscence. Suddenly, you know It just pops into your brain. It's still considered sin, but it is an, a continual sin or a growing sin if you let it stick around and you start running the play in your head and you start finding some sort of internal pleasure because of it. Uh-oh, then you're sinning in greater degree, but not in as great a degree as actually committing the sin. There is a difference between concupiscence, harboring and committing. They're all sins. Some are worse than others. PCM USA says, no, you can you can you can be that and just don't act on that. So they are willing to adopt an adjective in front of the name Christian that allows people to commit concupiscence. Gay Christian? You know what? Doofus Christian. You'd go, well, Okay, the guy, the guy was a doofus, but why do, you, why do you keep that name? He's a Christian. Exactly. The old thing's gone. Behold, new creation. We're not an adjective Christian. We are a Christian who is a Christ one, bought by Jesus Christ. We are under his authority. We are seeking and striving to be a peculiar, holy, set-apart people, and that includes concupiscence. PC USA says, no, that's okay, and you can hang around with like-minded people. The PCA coming out and making it really clear, thoughts and desires arriving in us prior to and apart from a conscious act of the will are still sin. The report continues, quote, We reject the Roman Catholic understanding of concupiscence, whereby disordered desires that affect us due to the fall do not become sin without a consenting act of the will. Mm -mm -mm. These desires within us are not mere weaknesses or inclinations to sin, but are themselves idolatrous and sinful. Now, for those of you who are Presbyterians, you will recognize a famous name in Presbyterian circles. Dr. Keller posits that concupiscent desires that are contrary to nature are no more heinous than concupiscent desires that are according to nature. In other words, if you have a, an inappropriate homosexual thought, it's no different than having an inappropriate heterosexual thought. It's the same. And the Presbyterians, at least the PCA, is coming out and saying, no, there's a difference because that particular sin is against nature. It doesn't even qualify for the sin of adultery. Because it is not the design, it is not the intent, and it is not the command. Therefore, it's unnatural. Therefore, it is worse. That's what the Heidel blog is taking issue with Dr. Keller over. To be specific, Dr. Keller argued that a man sexually desiring a woman, not his wife, and a man sexually desiring another man are both, quote, equally illicit, equally wrong. Hmm. Is that the case? I don't think so because there are degrees of heinousness. Contrary to the mantra, all sin is the same in God's sight. Westminster says, some sins in themselves are more heinous in the sight of God than others. So old dead guys, Presbyterians some of them, they, they according to them, those sins which are contrary to creational design, so it's homosexuality, pedophilia, bestiality are more heinous in the sight of God than sexual sins, which are according to nature. Thomas Aquinas explains why natural sins have a higher degree of heinousness than natural sins. Quote, just as the I'm translating this from Latin, by the way, just as the ordering of right reason proceeds from man, so the order of nature is from God himself. Wherefore, in sins contrary to nature, whereby the very order of nature is violated, an inquiry is done, an injury is done to God, the author of nature. Do you struggle with unwanted thoughts? Yes, you do. It's called concupiscence. They're unnatural. They're uninvited. But they're still a sin. There's also the issue of God's justice, writes the Heidel blog. If God does not see a qualitative difference between the desire of a sociopath to commit murder and the desire of a five-year-old to strike his brother, can we really say that God is just? We just know. Some things are all forgivable, but some things are just worse than others, though it may seem like I'm comparing apples to oranges, writes the author, or mountains to molehills. Dr. Keller states there are no hierarchies, no distinctions between sinful desires until they break forth into action. Well, that would be the Catholic position, and it would not be the historic position on concupiscence. This is Wretched Radio. The war for life is not over. The war for life has just begun. Dan Steiner from preborn.org slash wretched. Our partner clinic in um, Buffalo, New York, was firebombed. A clinic in Longmont, Colorado, also was burned. And so this is the essence of who we are as Christians. We war not against flesh and blood. The implication is that we are, in fact, at war, and we are. The war for life rages on state by state, city by city, block by block, woman by woman. Would you please consider supporting preborn.org slash wretched, providing free ultrasound, providing counseling, providing parental training, providing Similac, providing clothes, providing diapers, and offering them the good news of the gospel. We are at war for life. Please consider supporting preborn.org slash wretched. Hey, thank you for listening to Wretched Radio today. We
2: know you have infinite choices in what gets your time and we don't take for granted that you've chosen Wretched Radio. And we also want to thank those of you who are monthly Wretched Gospel partners. Without your support, we could not not do all that we're able to do. From Wretched Radio and Wretched TV to other productions like Road Trip to Truth, Transformed and Breaking Bread, not to mention the many resources available in the Wretched Store, they're all possible only because of you and your ongoing support. If you're not already a monthly Wretched Gospel partner, would you prayerfully consider becoming one? Help us continue producing quality productions that reach millions with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And know that we take seriously our stewardship of the resources you provide. That's why we're audited yearly by the ECFA, so you know we're accountable to you. Get all the information you could ever need about becoming a monthly Wretched Gospel Partner now by visiting wretched.org slash donate. Wretched, amazing grace,
1: amazing gospel. How's inflation been treating you? If costs for health insurance are skyrocketing in your home, would you please visit Medishare? Dot com slash wretched affordable biblical health sharing Christians paying for other Christians medical bills, which means you don't have to worry where the money is going for bad stuff. Second of all, you can save on average $500 per month. And finally, MediShare. It's the gold standard for health care sharing for more than 25 years. It works, and the members, including myself and Mrs. Friel, love it, which is why their customer satisfaction rate is double traditional health insurance. If inflation has got you down, call up the people at MediShare, 844-34-BIBLE or MediShare.com slash wretched.
0: Books of the Bible. The Gospel of Matthew is an account of the life of Christ written by one of Jesus' disciples. Matthew's Gospel shows Jesus as the promised Messiah, God's anointed King and Savior. When you hear of the kingdom of heaven, remember that there is no kingdom without a king. Only those who bow before Jesus will enter His kingdom. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel was being sarcastic, which is another big word you'll learn in school. What's the word on the
1: street? You did this already! Yep. But we have another word. This is Wretched Radio. Today's second word. Simplicity. Friel, we know what that is. It's not complicated. That is not the definition. In theological terms, the doctrine of simplicity is a word that has been understood for centuries to describe God. That God is simple. You say, that sounds offensive. It's not. It helps us to understand God. And if you have perhaps been struggling to recognize God's transcendence, his otherliness, how big and awesome he is, this might help you. To grow in that understanding, and that is an understanding that needs to grow. There's a trend that continues to exist in evangelical circles. It's it's residue at least, if not the identical article, to hyper-grace. What is hyper-grace? Hey, 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 God's your daddy, and he loves you like crazy, and Jesus died for you, so use that. To not go out and do boo-boos and mistakes. That's kind of the hyper-grace movement where it is all grace, all grace, all grace. A minimizing of sin and the component that I think has led many people into a whole lot of stumbling. And I'm talking about pastors here. That they use hyper-grace. They use the gospel for licentiousness because they don't fear God. I've seen this. Perhaps you have, too, throughout evangelical history. Some high-profile preachers who were mostly conservative but seemed to have a tinge of hypergracie inside of them all of a sudden stumbling. Why? Because hypergrace squashes simplicity. Hypergrace squashes sanctification. Hypergrace minimizes sin. You know, hey, look, We're all just, we're just one big mess, right? The church, it's a place in process. I mean, come on, quit judging everybody. Now, part of that is actually true. In fact, we've used language like that here on Wretched Radio. We are the island of misfit toys. We are the walking wounded. I'm happy to say that because that's what we are. But that's not all we should say. When that is the totality of our message, just grace, 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 and you hear it used with a different G word, gospel, gospel, gospel. The go- Hey, it's the gospel that should cause you to do good things, man. Just think about the gospel. Hold on. We should think about the gospel. Indeed, we want to focus on the indicative in order to perform the imperative. Got it. But we also need to talk about God's otherliness and how different he is and how frightening he is. That's right. I said frightening. I saw, Jimmy, at Psalm 1, yeah. that he saved us, that we might fear him. What? What happened to him being our daddy? Well, he is closer than a brother, and yet he is still a God to be feared, not in a servile fashion, but it, but it, but in recognizing whoa he's really different than i am he is way more complex than i could even consider and the doctrine of simplicity helps us to do just that god is simple is the doctrine of simplicity it's about his being if he is not simple Then he is a composite of parts. The doctrine of simplicity says God is one. Remember the Shema? The Lord is one. He's not a puzzle. You don't put him together. Now, I grant you in advance, the waters that we are starting to wade into, they're going to get deep really fast, and it's going to go over your your head, and you're going to feel like you're drowning inside of complexities about the simplicity of God. But the reason for this exercise is so that when we're done, we just go, Whoa, here <laughs> I thought I kind of had God all figured out. Not even close. If God is not a simple being, one, then He is a composite of parts, in which case God's attributes would be what He has rather than what he is. God doesn't have love. God doesn't have compassion. God doesn't have wrath. He is. That's what he is. And you got to be careful that you don't separate and divide these things because then it immediately puts them into bits. He's this and that and this and that other thing and that fifth thing, and that's what makes him God. No. He's one. He's simple. I know this makes your head want to explode, and that's the purpose for this exercise. (laughs) If he were not simple, then God's attributes would be what he has, what he possesses, or even how he acts, rather than what he is. Making his attributes abstract properties that self-exist without ultimate reference to God. God would be subject to change. And evaluation, if he is not simple. By the way, this was written by Ron DiGiacomo. Not familiar with the fellow, but he did a fine job of diving into the doctrine of simplicity. Now, if you thought the definition of simplicity was, okay, all right, kind of sort of getting this to a degree. Let me make it more complicated try to resolve it so that ultimately we appreciate God's just different and he is worthy of our fear and our honor and our respect and our obedience and not just gracy grace with the hyper-grace graceness. One, there are at least four steps or ditches to avoid. Here's number one. One is to say that each attribute is identical to each other because God is his attributes. You don't want to do that. Then They're not equal. They're not the same thing. They're different things. So you say they're different things, therefore it's different. No, he's one. Number two, another trap to avoid is the denial of divine simplicity on the basis that God is love means something different than God is holy. No, it doesn't. Why? Because he's simple. He doesn't some, sometime act loving and then other times act holy. He's always those things. That's what he is. Not separate. Not love is a part of holiness. Now, wait a second, it keeps getting trickier. A third trap to avoid is trying to resolve the conundrum presented by the aforementioned ditches. By positing a kind of penetration or infusion of attributes using propositions like, hang in there, God's holiness is loving holiness. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Okay, I got to figure out God's love. Got to figure out God's holiness. So it's a loving holiness. Eh. No, he's simple. He, it's it's one is not, if you will, informing the other. He's always one thing, and it's all of the attributes. Which, by the way, really an anthropomorphical term to help us just grasp the simplicity of God, because he's not bits. He's not parts. Although helpful and in a sense unavoidable to a point, the infusion of attributes. So, um. God's wrath is just. Uh, that would be an infusion. That's a mistake. It eventually breaks down when we consider, for instance, love and wrath. It's a loving wrath. Well, well, yeah, but it's, that makes it sound like he's just doing that right now. No, he is that. No, your head right now is perhaps expanding to the point of cracking open like a melon which, by the way, it hasn't been a good melon season. I don't know if you've noticed it, but even Costco disappointed with the melons. Maybe your head is cracking open. Good. Let it. Not to cause confusion, but to cause you to see God higher and yourself lower. It's good for us because that's what we are. Attempts to qualify attributes with other attributes do not save divine simplicity, but instead of taken too far, and in its denial. Number four ditch. Fourth trap. It's an advancement of the first, if you recall, that they're all identical. is saying that X attribute is identical to Y attribute in God's mind, even though the transitivity of attributes is unintelligible to human minds. Let your head fill. That particular mystery card reduces each attribute to meaningless predicates when played. Attributes then become vacuous terms with really no meaning at all. Now, that's as far as we got in this well, about a six page article. As a simple being, God is one divine, undivided, and in- incomprehensible essence, yet revealed to us through created images, in other words, language, because God's simplicity is too complex to take in all at once due to the creator creature distinction. Accordingly, God's self-disclosure comes to us as particular attributes in an accommodation to our creatureliness. Indeed, we'd have to share in the divine essence to know God originally or intuitively as a simple being. And we don't, because we're not. And our minds will forever be increasing in our knowledge of God for eternity, but we will never, ever, ever understand our awesome God completely. Hence... Fear the Lord. This is Wretched Radio.
2: This is Wretched Radio. And I'm Jimmy Hicks. Okay, so here's an example of the attempted rewriting of American history in response to Senator Ted Cruz, who tweeted, "Quote: Abolish the IRS over the weekend." An occasional columnist for the New York Daily News, Brandon Freeman, responded with. And I quote, Republicans don't just hate the IRS because it pays for things like highways and social security. There's history here. The IRS was created in 1862 specifically to fund the Civil War, to end slavery, and to burn white supremacy to the ground. (laughs) You know, it's funny how both the IRS was instituted and slavery abolished by Abraham Lincoln, a Republican. (laughs) But remember, facts are not important anymore. And to prove just how utterly ridiculous society has become, Jordan Lewis, who has recently committed to playing college basketball for UCLA, is also very much opposed to the idea of men dominating women's sports. And to prove a point, he recently created a video of how he entered a girls basketball tournament in California and completely dominated everyone on the court. But the utterly ridiculous part, no one complained at all. As a matter of fact, opposing players actually loved what he was doing without even realizing that he was trolling to make a point. Sadly this is the future of our country. Well there seems to be more than a few upset parents in Pennsylvania. Apparently the Northern York County School District has approved an after-school satanic club program. The club will be allowed to meet on school property while students interested in having an after-school Christian club must pay to have the club members bust off school property for their meetings and bust back. And parents are sounding the alarm at the obvious double standard by the school board. As a matter of fact, when one parent raised their concern at a school board meeting, she was quickly silenced. And unfortunately, we see this happening at an increasing rate all over the country. Now, a current report from China has indicated authorities recently liquidated a historical house church as part of a crackdown on churches that refused to join the state-controlled Three-Self Church. Chinese President Xi Jinping claims he welcomes Protestant Christians, but that is most certainly not the case. Christian churches must actually be a registered Three-Self Church. Pastors must use a state-issued Three-Self Bible that's been totally rewritten by the government, and they also must only preach state-approved sermons that praise communism. Please be praying for our heavily persecuted Chinese brothers and sisters, and our heavily persecuted brothers and sisters all over the world. There's also reports coming from Nicaragua asking for urgent prayer amid an escalation to silence the church in the country by the government. And we ask you frequently to pray for our brothers and sisters abroad and for good reason. While we feel a bit of the pinch of persecution at times in America, the persecution we're facing is nothing compared to what our brothers and sisters across the world are facing. So let us please be in constant prayer for them. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks.
0: Hermeneutics Hermeneutics is the art and science of interpreting Scripture. One key principle of Hermeneutics is the analogy of Scripture. If God is consistent and the Bible is God's Word, then the Bible is consistent. We can then use Scripture to interpret Scripture, understanding less clear verses in light of clear verses.
1: This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And speaking of Presbyterians, this is Wretched Radio. Jimmy, I don't know if this is the quote of the day or the quote du jour. Either way, this is a Lulu from a Presbyterian minister. Let me take you to Ocean Grove. That would be New Jersey. There's a beach pier in Ocean Grove, which apparently is pretty much owned by the Methodist Church. I Don't know exactly how that works, but apparently they have control of a fair amount of land in that town. And there was a pier that got wiped out from a storm. And so the Methodists, they did a fundraiser. They got all the money put together. They announced it in advance. They showed the drawings to the public. And now a Presbyterian minister is up in arms. Why? Because the pier goes out and then it has... A, a, a perpendicular section that that intersects with the long pier, and it looks like a cross. And it's got a Presbyterian minister upset. no, i'm I'm actually not kidding. It was destroyed during superstorm sandy Sandy is being rebuilt by the Methodist Church. But the new shape has some residents concerned. It too closely resembles a cross. Now, in your mind's eye, you could go, oh, so it must be a pretty short pier. No, it's super long. It's the weirdest looking cross you'll ever imagine. (laughs) Because I don't think that was the original intent. I think they just wanted to put a cross section there so that more people could enjoy the end of the pier and fish in different locations. However a local resident and retired Presbyterian pastor said, the cross-shaped pier feels like Christian bullying. Wow, are we a psychologized society? That cross, if it makes somebody feel bad, is terrible. You're a Presbyterian pastor. The cross-shaped pier feels like Christian bullying. Bullying, who has penned letters to local and state officials asking for intervention. Quote, I am so deeply concerned. You know, there's a lot of troublesome things in this world. I'm not sure that deeply concerned is necessary for this particular issue, but, he said, and I am so concerned from my neighbors who are scared and bullied because a doc. Happens to have a resemblance to an odd-shaped cross? And the answer is, yep. Now, I'm not a Batman, but if I were, I'm guessing that would be a Presbyterian Church United States of America sort of pastor. Bullying. Why, if that's the case, then, Christian, when you wear your cross necklace, you're you bully, you're being mean to people. How is that bullying? Here's some details of it, which I think are fascinating. There was a three-year fundraising campaign, ultimately raising $550,000. So people paid for it. But then this Methodist organization is using 750000 of internal resources to meet the $1.3 needed to complete the full restoration. Who knew piers were that expensive? Zoink, Scoob. Well, I guess you got to get down there and you got to put the, I don't want to get all engineering technical on you, but like the pylons underneath so that the pier doesn't, You know all over the place the things in the water pretty much when it gets banged by the water so it needs to be secure but 1.3 million dollars so they paid for most of it hmm just i'm not trying to be snippy with the presbyterian pastor but um they paid for it if you don't like their design then don't take a long walk off of a cross-shaped pier i think that's how the saying goes a website launched in 2019 for the fundraiser includes a concept rendering of the new peer. In other words, people have had years to know what they were doing. And now somebody wants to shut it down because it's Christian bullying and the guy happens to be a professing Christian himself. Aye, aye, aye. The township does not have any zoning authority over the peer's placement or design. <laughs> You know, if they wanted to make it look like the Star of David or the Bethlehem Star, if they're paying for it and people know what the thing looked like and the city has no control of authority over it, what's the problem? And the answer is we live in a time when the world is so sensitive and Christians too often are leading the charge. How do we live in a world where everybody is so tender Oh, people's feelings. And if you dare say something hurtful or judgmental, you're going to cause the person to commit suicide. That's what you're going to do. We know it. We just know it. How do we live in a world like this? Well, American Thinker wrote an article called What Does It Mean for Conservatism to Be Compassionate? This isn't going to resolve our challenge completely, but it might be in part helpful. Conservatism ought to be compassionate. Because it is. conservatism gets painted as the mean people. They want to conserve and hold on to antiquated ideas. They're, they're, they're the people who are not up to speed on the right side of history. They're not progressing. They're just regressive. They want to take us back. <laughs> Which is really fascinating. Um, actually, we used to be back there. We actually did Progress. You're wanting to leapfrog over Christian influence in Western civilization and take us back to the Dark Ages, before Christianity had such an impact due to the dispersed ones and the missionary work of the apostles. We're, we're, if you will, the progressive ones, because the world used to be really awful I, I always think about Dennis Prager wrote a lengthy treatise on the history of intimacy. And if you think that people's attitude toward that subject today is low, it ain't nothing compared to the way that it used to be. The, the, the way the concept was considered was, wow, really awful. Christianity came along and said, nope, one man, one woman. Intimate. Lifelong covenantal relationship. We changed society. Now we want to go back in time. The conservatives are actually the compassionate people because we want to do things that are good for people. Don't be bullied by a liberal. "Uh, You guys hate everybody. No, 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 no. In fact, while I could make the case that that's what you're doing, you are not helping human flourishing, You are detracting. We're the ones who want to help people. Back to the article. Conservative policies produce a safe and ordinary society in which the weak are protected and well cared for. Conservatism defends America against enemies who are far from compassionate, and it affords a thriving capitalist economy in which all classes are better off. Life is vastly more free under conservatism. Progressivism... Just the opposite. Now, you and I can do everything that we want to do to try to persuade people hey, we're the compassionate people. We're actually the nice ones here. There's a problem with thinking that's going to remedy the confusion that persists in our culture because the world, being what the world is, the world, is lost, they can't get these concepts, they can't noodle this through because their internal desires overwhelm any logic or reason. So last night, I'm reading the book of Acts, not the whole thing, but I'm in Acts chapter 2, and I thought, well, maybe this, maybe this verse and actually chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5 are instructive for us. What are we supposed to do in a culture that is so hypersensitive and thinks that we're just being cruel, I don't think we can coddle them out of it. I don't think we can persuade them out of it. Because no matter how much you try, you're like the parent who is trying to tell the teenager, no, 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 that's not the right way. They just, yeah, hate it. So Peter is in Jerusalem. Pentecost has taken place in Acts chapter 2. And then we see this happening, accusations. Hey, those people are drunk. Those people, they're, they're, just, they're just consuming too much booze. And Peter, hearing the squalor, does this. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea, And all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. You need to stop being so mean. We're we're not nicer than you think we are. Quit being a bully. I'm sorry, that isn't the text at all. He stood up, raised his voice, and said to the men of Judea, and all who dwell here, let it be known, and heed my words. These are not drunk, as you suppose. And then he goes on to preach for a chapter. What? You killed the Christ. They were pierced at heart, and the church was added to by the thousands that day, which indicates they were actually keeping records. How do we live in a world that thinks that a cross-shaped pier is Christian bullying? I don't think explaining conservatism will get the job done. Preaching the gospel will. This is Wretched Radio. Two.
2: quick, what's the first thing that pops into your mind when I say the word partner? I'm only asking because I do genuinely wonder if I've been crystal clear on the significance of our gospel partners. Our gospel partners truly are allies, helping and granting us the privilege in spreading the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. With productions like Wretched Radio and TV, Road Trip to Truth, Transformed, and resources like Wretched Worldview, Breaking Bread, Life is Best, The Drive-By Series, and a ton of others, we're reaching millions with the gospel. But it's only possible because of the of our gospel partners. If you're already a Wretched Gospel Partner, I humbly thank you for your kindness and support. And if you're not, can I ask you to visit wretched.org donate to get all of the details on becoming a Wretched Gospel Partner and then prayerfully consider partnering with us if you can. We are grateful for all you do and humbled that God continues using wretches like us to spread His gospel to millions. Wretched.org donate. That's wretched.org slash donate. <laughs>
1: (laughs) something is happening in the Philippines. Wait, I know what it is. Jesus is building his church. Please meet Pastor Kitu Aspiritu from the Masters Academy International in the Philippines.
0: Your support allows us to fill pulpits and transform lives. Pastors are being equipped to rightly divide the truth. People in the Philippines are hearing the truth rightly preached and coming to know
1: the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus is on the march in the Philippines. Souls are being saved, churches are being built, and yet there are too many empty pulpits. And that is where you come in. Would you please consider filling an empty pulpit in the Philippines so that people can hear the word rightly divided? The Masters Academy International training pastors to do just that in the Philippines and 17 other nations. To learn more, please visit wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org pastor.
0: Yeah! God is just. Since He is the standard of right and wrong, every judgment He makes is right and just. He rewards good and punishes evil. The good news for sinners is that the just God offers to justify you through the atoning work of Christ, so that your sins are punished on the cross and Jesus' righteous deeds are accounted to you. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel.
1: This has to stop. This is Wretched Radio telling us this has to stop, has to stop. That's right. How many times have you heard a political commentator tell you this has to stop? Cultural critics, as they analyze a devolving Western civilization, tell us, we're not going to take this. No, we ain't going to take this. We're not going to take it anymore. And then they exhort you, don't let this happen. We need to stop this. And then they move on to another subject. No orders that are specific, just agitation. And then just, you. let's do something. And then they don't tell us what it is. I happened to catch just a slice, and I only watched it for maybe minutes, like a few minutes. A great radio broadcaster has a program on the Fox News on Sunday night. And I watched, like I said, in, in total two minutes, maybe <laughs> something like that, because the guy's voice is amazing and how he delivers. I was trying to learn from the fellow, and I noticed as as good of a broadcaster as he is, he did the exact same thing. He was talking about how American rights are being taken away, how the president has immunity he can take even certified documents, and this is this is an assault on American liberty, and we've gotta stop this. Thank you for watching. <laughs> Off to the next program they went. Wait, what, what? What am I supposed to do? And we hear it all the time. They get you whipped up, tell you to do something, but don't tell you what to do. Here's an example. This was an article that I shared a bit of yesterday. It's called Call the Left's Sadism. What it is. Children are being exploited and their bodies mutilated. No need to revisit the details of that. But needless to say, this individual not happy with this exploitation of children. So here's the last paragraph. No child can consent to these practices. Any adult transitioning a child is not operating in the child's best interest. Rather, she is exploiting the child for her own gain. These people are sadists. Last sentence, forward. They must be stopped. All right, okay, got it. What can I do? What do, what do I do? Uh, I, I, I guess I could find a hospital where they are doing these procedures. I guess I could build a sign. Um, I could run for office. That's I vote. Can do that. Well, what am I, why do you want me to do? I think the book of Acts has our response as Christians to this world. This is a repeated theme of how Peter responded under pressure. Now, please note societal pressure. We have a tendency to go, well, open air preaching here in this context. We're too civilized, Um. Well, okay, if that's the case, if we're so civilized that people just won't hear open air preaching, um, how do you think the disciples felt when they did open air preaching in an uncivilized culture? It was way more dangerous. The threats were very real. They stoned people to death. Ask Stephen. It was not easy to do what Peter did. And yet, obviously, different context, but... Same types, not the same issue, but the same types of issue. Hey, you you Christians, you're you're speaking in these foreign languages, which is what it was. It was not an unintelligible language, tongues. It was a foreign language. How do I know? Because the text tells me so. When it lists all the different languages that were being spoken in that place, it was not unintelligible. It was very intelligible, and people... Specifically, those in authority went, hey, you guys are drunk. And they were starting to become critical of the Christians. And what was Peter's response? What did Peter do? Maybe this is what we can do. We, we can actually, you and I can actually do this. But Peter, standing up with the 11, raised his voice and said to them, and then he goes on and preaches, we're not drunk. This is because God has sent his Holy Spirit, and he has raised Jesus from the dead, and he reigns at the right hand of the Father, and he is going to make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were cut to the the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And he tells them to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That is how Peter responded to hostile assaults from an uncivilized culture. He preached the gospel to them. Hold on. Verse 40, it continues. And with many other words... He testified and exhorted them, saying, Conservativism is the better position than liberalism. Here's why it's more compassionate. No. Be safe from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his words were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. What did Peter do? He preached the gospel. Went about the business then, those who responded in repentance and faith. Then he got them baptized after they had been saved because he had the courage to speak. Hold on, we're not done with this lesson. Let's move on to Acts chapter 3. Yeah, verse 11. Now as the layman who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch which is called Solomon's, it's the portico. They were greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he told them all to register to vote. No, actually, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us? As though by our own power or godliness, we have made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up, and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witness. And his name, through faith, in his name, has made the man strong whom you see and know. What did Peter do when he had opportunity? In an uncivilized society, which is increasingly what we are living in, he preached Jesus boldly and with courage, scooting over in Acts chapter three. Yeah, Acts chapter, uh, yeah, Acts chapter four. This is verse eight. Sorry, I don't have my glasses on. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed of healing the guy along, uh, having done this to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well? Let it be known that all the people of Israel, that the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he was healed The one whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Do you hear what he's doing? He's just preaching. He's just preaching. He's just preaching. He's just preaching. We can do that. You you want stuff to stop? Start preaching. Start evangelizing. Start having courage, boldness to speak. This is what Peter did. Now, this is chapter 4, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled, and they realized they had been with Jesus. So they called them, they tossed them in jail, etc. By the way, what did they do in jail? Well, scoot over to verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. This has to stop. I agree. The question is, how does it stop? How does a society stop devolving? Well, as the highway to hell becomes increasingly populated, we need to snatch people from the flames. We need to preach the gospel the way that Peter did, with boldness and with courage, willingness to pay whatever penalty is due from an unjust government. That's what Peter faced. That's what the disciples faced. Stephen, Acts chapter 6, what did he do? He preached a lot. He basically did an overview of the Old Testament and then he brings it to Jesus and he knew what was going to happen and it did. They stoned him. We live in a time unprecedented in America. We're seeing a radical shift to godlessness that is overt and that is aggressive. And we know this isn't good for people, but we need to be more than compassionate conservatives. We have to be gospel proclaimers. That's what Peter did. Can we take our cue from him? He didn't try to logic or reason with them. Hey, you know what? You, this is, you shouldn't be resting us like this, putting us in this prison. We're telling. Nope. They preached the word. That and only that is what will stop this. And until tomorrow, go serve your king.